Well, as we prepare our hearts to continue our worship in the word, let's pray. Father, we are indeed grateful uh, to come together to worship you this morning, to spend time singing praises to your name, to worship you in giving, but now, Lord, to worship you in the word. We pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for the truths therein. We pray, Lord, that your word would be like a seed that's planted in our hearts. We pray that it would bear fruit unto righteousness. And so, Father, this morning, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Many children are familiar with the rhyme, uh, bricks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But as you grow up and you grow older, you learn that not only can words be hurtful at times, but they can hurt you in places that bricks can't reach. Words can hurt you and leave emotional scars or uh, wounds that don't heal, and they can affect you, some, for a lifetime. Uh, Perhaps this morning, as you sit here this morning, you know that pain. You can identify with it. Perhaps you have been hurt by the words spoken to you by a parent as a child and you still feel those effects today. Maybe there are wounds uh, that are left by the words spoken to you by a spouse or a co-worker in the workplace or a boss or even in the local church. We can be wounded by the words spoken by fellow believers, even spiritual leaders like pastors. That's why this morning I want to take some time to invite you in your Bibles to James chapter 3 As we continue through our series, Family Matters, we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. We're going to discuss the weight of our words and our responsibility as believers to control what we say, to control our tongues. You know, as you make your way there in your Bibles, James 3, the letter of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. It's written to Jewish believers who are spread throughout the world. And the text is just as relevant to us today, written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as it was back then. The letter of James is written with this purpose, to remind us as believers that a genuine faith, an authentic faith, will uh, always be accompanied by the fruit of godly living. And the fruit of godly living, as we turn to chapter 3, is not just found in, in what it looks like to walk the walk as believers, but at what it means to talk the talk. The truth of the matter is, if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, it will be reflected as well in the fact that Jesus is Lord over your lips. This morning, we're going to talk about what does the Bible has to say about the power of the tongue and our responsibility as believers to control it. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word? We'll be in James 3 and looking at the first 12 verses together. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated this morning in the presence of God together. 
This morning, we're talking about what we learn about the power of the tongue and our responsibility to control it. And as we jump into the first two verses, the reason we have a great responsibility as believers to control our tongue is because the tongue has the power to influence others. In the first two verses, we're reminded that the power has the tongue to influence others, especially when it comes to teaching and preaching. And James knows the extent of the influence that a teacher or preacher can have on those around them speaking the truth of God's word into their life that he begins in verse 1 with a warning. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Now, as James begins, he refers to those he's speaking to as his brethren. These are believers, and in the early church at this time, there were many within the church who had a desire to be teachers, to be preachers. And there are two groups of people James is speaking to and giving a warning to. First, he's giving a warning to those who are aspiring teachers, those who have a desire to be a teacher, who are called and qualified. But he's also talking to many within the local church who have a desire or aspire to be a teacher who are not qualified or have not been called or perhaps it's not the season for them to enter into that ministry. And he begins, knowing the influence that one has in teaching and preaching, he begins with this warning. He says, my brethren, and so the brethren are not just believers. He's speaking specifically to those who have a desire to teach And he says, let not many of you become teachers. Uh, Why does he tell that to those who are called and qualified? And why does he tell that to those who are not called and qualified but still have the desire? First, for those who are called and qualified, called and qualified, uh, that warning is a reminder to take the ministry of teaching and preaching seriously. Because of the amount of influence teaching and preaching has, those who are going to aspire or desire that ministry opportunity are to take it seriously. This is a warning to those who may not be called or qualified, but perhaps have the desire, or perhaps they need the training, or are one day going to step into that ministry, but that is not the season for them, to remind them the responsibility of teachers and preachers but also remind them of the greater accountability that they have before the Lord. James gives us two reasons for the warning. He said, not let many of you become teachers, um, in verse 1, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. In other words, those who desire to be pastors or teachers, but aren't called or qualified, need to take into consideration, listen, there's a great responsibility when you teach or preach. And God will will hold you to a higher standard in regards to how you rightly divide the word of God. You know, when I read a warning like this, as a pastor who has the opportunity to preach and teach God's word, I am motivated to take this ministry seriously. I'm motivated to rightly divide the word of God and I'm reminded that I'm not just here to do it for the sake of the people but for the sake of the glory of God. I'm not simply interested in teaching or preaching in order to to, uh, help the people in regards to their preferences but in order to declare God's word in season and out of season as he's commanded accordingly. This morning, I'd like to suggest, though, that this has application not just for teachers and preachers who have the opportunity to influence the lives of others through the teaching and preaching of God's Word, but this is a reminder to anyone who has influence in the life of another and has an opportunity to speak God's Word into their life as well. And you need to take that ministry seriously. I'd like to suggest this morning, if you are a father and a husband, you have a great responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home. To be the spiritual leader of your home means that you are the one who initiates spiritual matters with your wife and with your children if you have them. You are the one who is to initiate and set the priorities of the home when it comes to things like, you know, as for me and me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
We're going to pray before we eat. We're going to recognize that God is the provider of all things. We're going to look to him. I'm going to set the tone of our house and set an atmosphere of worship that when we wake up in the morning, God is the focus and God is the center. And so as fathers and husbands, you have a duty to, to, to be the primary spiritual leaders of the home, and that means setting the priorities of the home, not just in prayer, but also when it comes to Sunday gatherings and worship. You say, listen, my kids are not going to be the ones who say, hey, when's the next time we're going to church? But I'm going to say, we're going to church. We're going to gather with the people of God. It's a priority in our home to honor and glorify God in accordance with his word. But this is also a reminder to parents who have influence in the lives of their children, As parents, this is a reminder that you are the primary disciple maker in the life of your child. Jay Lynn, as she was sharing about Wednesday nights, uh, what we're going to be doing, one of our values within children's ministry is that our children's ministry isn't the only one doing the discipling, but our children's ministry and our youth ministry comes along parents who are the primary disciple makers in the lives of their children to help you and equip you to be the best parents that you can be as you pour into the lives of the next generation. And so if you're a parent, if you're a husband and a father, if you have the opportunity to have influence and speak God's word into the life of another, take that calling seriously. As a pastor, you have to take the calling and the qualifications seriously. Not just the call to teach and preach the word of God in season and out of season, but also to consider the qualifications and to look at texts like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2. And there is a great challenge there for pastors to live lives that are set apart to him and honor him with lives that are consistent. This morning, I'd like to suggest three reasons why James gives this warning and why he, he, he says it the way he does, uh, which is why we will have a stricter judgment. The first one is is uh, the responsibility of the teacher or preacher. Teachers or preachers have a responsibility not simply to speak from the authority of their life or experience, not simply to speak from the authority of worldly wisdom, but to speak from the authority of God's word. When you come to church or you come to a teaching of God's word, I'm not simply here to give you some good advice in regards to my opinion, but Lord willing, when you come and hear the word of God taught or preached, that you hear the authority of scripture and it comes from God's word. And so we have a responsibility. That's why there's a stricter judgment. Uh, The second reason is the influence that pastors and teachers have. Pastors and teachers have the influence and the ability to lead the people of God in the right direction and build them up according to their needs in Christ Jesus, which is what edification is. But a pastor and teacher also has the influence to lead the people of God astray. And that's why it has to be taken seriously. Um, um, in different scriptures, uh, we, we see the need for that, and so we, we need to exercise that accordingly. And so it's the influence we have. Um, it's also the consistency we need. You know, as a pastor or teacher, it's not just about um, what is preached and proclaimed from the pulpit, but it's the life that is lived consistently in light of the truth. You know, Lord willing, when I get to have the opportunity to teach and preach a text like this, Lord willing, it's gotten through me before it gets to you. And I hope you know all week the Lord has been working on my heart in regards to what it looks like for me to tame my tongue and to make Jesus Lord of my lips, not just Lord of my life. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way, the real test of teachers isn't what they say, but what their families say. The extent of people's ministries isn't the size of their churches, it's the depth of their family life. Teachers must never forget that. And so James begins with the warning, let not many of you become teachers knowing that there is a greater accountability and responsibility for teachers. There is a stricter judgment. Secondly, because we all stumble. And James includes himself in verse 2, and he puts it this way, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. What we're reminded here is that pastors and teachers have more of an opportunity to sin with their words because of the function of their ministry. 
I think back to how many years I've been teaching and preaching, maybe seven or eight years on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, and I have more of an opportunity to lead the people astray if I'm not rightly dividing the word of God. And over that amount of time, I have more of an opportunity to live inconsistently with the teaching and preaching of God's word. You know, some people can come up to my wife sometimes and say, wow, must be great to be married to a guy like that. And she'll tell you, well, I'll tell you how great it is. Because like James, myself included, we all stumble especially when it comes to our words. And James goes on to say, listen, if, you can, if, 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 if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a, a perfect man. Now, the word perfect man means mature, spiritual maturity. But there's only one man who's ever lived that's reached spiritual maturity, and it's Christ. And so our model, not just James as he's writing this, but all of us, including pastors and teachers, our model is Jesus Christ. And what we are called to do is make him Lord of our lips. He goes on to say, um, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. What James is saying is that of all the members of your body, the most difficult to take under control and to tame is your tongue. When it comes to the hands and what you do and your feet and where they go, it's one thing to bring those under the control. It's another thing to bring your tongue under under control. And what James is saying, listen, if you can control your tongue, it's great evidence that Christ is controlling your life. And so a good evidence to show us whether or not we are spiritually mature or not or where we're at in our spiritual journey is how much control we have of our tongue. And so James begins and says the reason why we have a great responsibility when it comes to controlling our tongue is because the tongue has the power to influence others, especially when it comes to teaching and preaching the word of God. If I could apply this directly to us, what is our responsibility as believers? The first is to identify those God has placed in your circle of influence. I want to invite you this morning to identify those whom God has given you the opportunity to speak God's word into their lives. For me, myself, when I think of my circle, immediately I think of the the woman who is next to me most often, my wife. And so my responsibility to her as a as the spiritual leader of the home, is to care for her heart, to initiate prayer, and to love her as Christ loved the church. And so she is my top priority in regards to human relationships. I think of my circle, and I think of my children. I have a responsibility to them. I think of the place where we live, and God has placed me around certain neighbors. I have the opportunity to not just get to know them, But as the Lord opens up opportunity, I can pray for them or introduce them to Jesus if the Lord provides opportunities to have conversations about him. My circle of influence is not just the local church. It's also those that God has provided me throughout my life, friendships that I have, and I have an opportunity to pour into them the truth of God's word. Who's in your circle? Who has God uniquely placed in your life that you have the opportunity to speak into their life? Listen, if there's somebody that God has given you that opportunity to speak into their life, that's a calling. And you have a responsibility to take that calling seriously, to pray for them, encourage them, and talk to them about the things of the Lord. So first, identify those whom God placed in your circle of influence. Secondly, evaluate how you're doing and using your influence to speak God's word into their lives. You know, I know as a father and a husband, I am to be the spiritual leader of the home. And I'm supposed to initiate spiritual things. But I notice at times, and my wife does a great job at this, she asks me very often, how can I be praying for you? And that's a good reminder to me to ask her, well, can you tell me how I should be praying for you. But when I evaluate how I am as a father and as a husband, I'm reminded that I need to initiate that question more often before she initiates it with me. I need to initiate that question with my children, knowing where they're at on their path. And so I need to take that seriously. Thirdly, use your words to add credibility to the gospel and not take away credibility. You know, when it comes to slandering or gossip or complaining 
or speech that is crude or profane. We expect that from unbelievers. It shouldn't be unexpected when people speak like that. It's consistent with who they are. But when it comes to a believer who slanders, who loses their temper, who who finds themselves acting in a way that they shouldn't, losing control of their tongue, that takes credibility away from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so what we are reminded to do is, in every situation, take seriously our calling as one who is a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and to not just make Jesus Lord of our life, but Lord of our lips. And then lastly, if I could tell us our responsibility in light of his warning to teachers and preachers, is that you would pray for your pastor, that you would pray for teachers and preachers in the local church, You would pray for guys like Jim Green, who's coming out with our our study next week, that you would pray for us that we would rightly divide the word of God and that we would live consistent lives with the word of God that we share. But secondly, I'd invite you to pray that that God would raise up pastors and leaders, ministry leaders who have been called and qualified to teach and preach the word of God in the next generation. Perhaps this morning as you're here today, you have a desire to teach. Perhaps it's a desire to preach. Maybe it's a desire to pursue vocational ministry. The reason James gives this warning is not to be critical of the position or the function or the calling or the qualifications of pastor, but to protect it. And so what he warns people not to do is if you're not called or qualified, don't enter into that ministry. But if you are called and qualified, take that ministry seriously. As you pursue your calling, as you pursue those qualifications, get the proper training and rightly divide the truth of God's word. If you're here and God has called you to preach the word, to teach a Bible study, let us know. Talk to one of our pastors. We'd love to come alongside of you and equip the next generation for what God has in the future. So first, um, uh, what what do we learn about the power of the tongue? Number one, it has the power to influence others. Secondly, the tongue has the power to direct our lives. In the next couple verses, verses three to four, James uses two vivid illustrations to describe the power of the tongue to direct our lives. It says in verse three, indeed we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. The tongue is small but powerful. For those who have the opportunity to raise horses or ride horses, that's not me, but as you get to learn about it, you see that horses, you can guide or direct them by a small bit in their mouth. It's a small piece of metal, a small piece of leather, a small piece of rope, and that small bit, if that animal is trained, you can direct it and guide it where it needs to go. The tongue has the power to direct or guide our lives in the right direction or the wrong direction. It will lead you down to a path of destruction or it will lead you down a path of life. If you think about horses, I mean, some of these animals are 1,500 pounds. These are gigantic animals But if you might be a 100-pound guy or gal and you get on this horse with a small bit in the mouth of the horse, you can guide and direct it. What we're reminded here is if God is controlling your tongue and controlling your life, God will direct you down the right path. And we're invited, just as you would take control of a horse by the bit, you would give control of the Lord for your tongue. The second illustration that's used in verse 3 is a ship. It says, look at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And so what we're reminded is it's like a ship, a, a great ship. And those great ships may sometimes find fierce winds pressing against it, but it's turned and directed by a small rudder. Now, over the years since James has written this letter, ships have become larger and bigger and greater. Perhaps some of you have ridden on some of these cruise ships. I mean, these are like small cities on the ocean. You've got anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 people on a ship. I mean, you've got thousands of people, and yet in comparison to the 
how big and how large these ships are. It's just a small rudder that guides and directs it. And even if there should be a fierce wind or large waves, the pilot of that ship, the captain of that ship is the one who guides it and directs it. Because your tongue can guide and direct your whole life, give Jesus the right to be Lord over your lips to control what you say and what you don't say. Because if the Lord is guiding the ship, he'll lead you in the right path. And even when there are contrary forces, even when there are contrary forces of your flesh, like the fierce winds that press against the ship, your ship will get to the destination it needs to go if you will give Jesus lordship over your lips, and you will watch your mouth accordingly, knowing that the tongue has the power to direct our lives. So if the, power has, if the tongue has the power to direct our lives, what's our responsibility? Number one, surrender control of your tongue to the Lord. Surrender control of your tongue to the Lord. I've been in the church or in ministry long enough to know when someone comes up to me and says, I probably shouldn't say this. It's a good time to stop them and say, well, you probably shouldn't then. Before they tell me or they talk about someone else and they say, hey, I probably shouldn't say, well, don't say it. You don't have to give the Lord control over your tongue. Now, I know this is difficult especially in a heated moment to give God control over your tongue. The reason we're talking about the tongue is because it's so relevant to our relationships. If you are married, if you have children, if, if you work in the workplace, you know sometimes you say things you know you shouldn't. And sometimes those words are coming out as you know I shouldn't be saying this right now. But to give God control of your tongue means that you are doing so in a moment-by-moment surrender to the Lord. The moment you wake up, Lord, you have control over my tongue. You know, I still remember years back um, when Mirde and I were married and she uh, was pregnant with our first child. And um, we were coming home one day and we had a neighbor who couldn't stand our dog. We had a dog at the time. And our dog had left a surprise in our neighbor's yard. And so as we had come home, this neighbor was furious. He was yelling, and he was yelling profanities. I couldn't believe he was doing it in front of my wife, who was pregnant. And and, uh, so I said, sir, we're sorry. We're sorry. Inside, I was thinking, man, I really, really want to say something I shouldn't right now. And I went in the house, and after about 30 minutes to an hour, my wife went inside. I went over to his door. But before I went to his door, I said, Lord, you're going to have to control my tongue. You're going to have to control what I'm about to say to this gentleman. I knock on his door and he opens it and he doesn't, he's got, you know, the screen door in front and he says, what do you want? And I say, well, we should probably talk about this. We are going to see each other on a regular basis as your neighbor. And and I said, sir, I can apologize for what happened with my dog and and you can take it out on me, but but what you said in front of my wife is, is not acceptable. He said, I'm not apologizing. I said, you don't have to apologize to me, but I'd ask that you would apologize to my wife. She, he said, I'm not apologizing to you or your wife. I said, you don't have to. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to do that. Well, funny thing, he shuts the door, and about 10 minutes later, we get a knock on our door. And he came over. He said, I'm not apologizing to that guy, but I will apologize to your wife. This morning, I'm reminded that if I would have taken control of that situation, it would have turned out a lot differently. When you give God control over your tongue and you say, Lord, I'm not going to say the words I want to say or I think I need to say, but I'm going to control what I say based on what your word has to say. Lord, guide me and direct me in my conversations. Give God control of your tongue tongue. Secondly, be swift to hear and slow to speak. Earlier, James wrote this in verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let not every man be swift to hear, slow to, oh, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We're reminded the Lord gives us two ears, one mouth, use it accordingly. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen, our tongue has the power to direct our life towards death and destruction or towards life. 
and righteousness. It says, death and life are, are, are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love to use it will face the consequences of that. And so we need to guard our tongue, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then thirdly, ask God for help. Ask God for help. I discipline our three-year-old and five-year-old pretty regularly, and every time I do, I say, Lord, you're gonna have to help me. Help me say the words I need to. Help me shepherd their hearts like I need to. If there's a scripture I need to, to, to point them to, Lord, help me, guide me in that. When it comes to conversations that I have with my wife, I call it intense fellowship, you know? When you're having conversations with your significant other. And, and in those moments, I need to control my tongue. I need to shepherd her. I need to love her well. We're, we're different people. And God guides and directs us in that. Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 141, verse three, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This is what we should be praying do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men or who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Ask God for help. Every morning, ask God for help. In your conversations with coworkers or those who are difficult to deal with, ask God for help. When you get an email or a text message that seems to be an interesting tone, ask God for help and how to respond. And sometimes it's not responding over text or email. I would say most of the times if you get an, e an email like that or a text like that, deal with it in person. And so ask God for help and then follow his lead. So the tongue has the power to influence others. It has the power to direct our lives. Thirdly, the tongue has the power to destroy our lives. In verses three to four, two illustrations were used that uh, were, could be positive or negative. It can direct your life in the right path or it can direct your life in the wrong path, but the tongue is also destructive. As we continue to read in verse five, it says, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. It's small, but dangerous. It's small, but powerful. There is a weight to our words. And then he goes on to say and says, see how a forest, a little fire kindles. In other words, you can have just a little spark and it can burn down a forest. We live in Oregon. It's fire season. Thankfully, over the past couple days, there hasn't been a lot of smoke, but a lot of times it just starts with a small kindle and it destroys an entire forest. It can go on for months if not dealt with. On October the 8th, 1871, a cow belonging to Catherine O'Leary kicked a lantern in the barn and set some hay on fire. Within minutes, the entire barn was ablaze, and due to those Chicago winds, this was Chicago, the flames ended up spreading throughout Chicago, burning a large percentage of the city, leaving 100,000 people homeless, 7,500 buildings destroyed, and the deaths of 300 people, all because of this cow of Mrs. O'Leary who knocked that over and caused a fire. That's the tongue. The tongue has the potential to destroy like a small kindle that destroys an entire forest. You have to exercise responsibility for your tongue. Words do hurt, and they can leave wounds, open wounds, and emotional scars that can leave effects that can last a lifetime. And so it's described as a fire. Verse 6, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Sin finds its outlet through the tongue. Swindoll puts it this way. I like what he says. It's virtually impossible to seethe with anger without expressing our rage in words. We use our tongue as a world of iniquity. Bitterness sours our speech. Pride prattles on and on. Hate explodes from lips. The tongue can suddenly turn an otherwise gentle person into a monster. It's a world of iniquity. So it's a world of iniquity. Sin finds its outlet through the tongue. And in the moment, we're going to see what the tongue says reveals what's already in the heart. Now, sometimes folks say, make excuses. Ah, that's not me. What I said to you when I was angry, when I was hungry, that wasn't me. No, 
Your hunger and your anger didn't cause you to say the things you did. It just revealed what was already in there. And when you speak with an unbridled tongue, when your tongue is not tamed and Jesus is not Lord of your lips, it shows where your heart's at in that moment. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It corrupts the mind. If you have trouble with your tongue, not only is your tongue corrupt, it's also your mind that is corrupt. When you're gossiping, when you're slandering, when you're flattering and you're not speaking as you should, when you're complaining, it's it, it ultimately corrupts the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. In other words, the tongue is so destructive it will destroy your life. It will lead down a path of destruction and ultimately death. The word for hell there is the word Gehenna. It's the term that Jesus used. It spoke of a, a literal place near Jerusalem, a place where garbage was burned continuously and that's what it describes here, judgment and and, and the destructive nature of the tongue, which is set on fire by hell. Verse 7, it goes on to say how destructive our tongue is. It's humanly untamable. We said earlier, there are different members of your body that you may be able to control easier. The tongue is not one of them. The tongue is difficult to control. It says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Before you give up hope, this is saying, apart from God's help, you cannot tame your tongue. Apart from the Lord's help, you cannot control your tongue. You need the power of the Spirit, and one of the fruits, one of the fruits listed of the Spirit is self control. Uh, some of you have pets that you train. Some are easier to train than others. It's always fascinating when you're watching certain clips on the internet of animals that have been trained. I once saw a chicken playing the piano. I mean, it was very simple, but boy, could it play the piano. And you're saying, wow, that's impressive. Haven't seen that too often. Back, if you ever Went to SeaWorld back in the day, you see people riding these orcas. I mean, these killer whales, and they're called killer whales for a reason because of their nature. And uh, at a certain point, there have been some who have been in captivity who have turned on their trainers, and they've tamed them to a point. But, but James is saying, you know what's harder to train or tame than a killer whale. <laughs> you know what's harder to train than a lion that might turn on his trainer? It's your tongue. Your tongue is difficult to tame. It is an unruly evil that's difficult, but it's also destructive. And so the tongue has the power to destroy our lives. What's our responsibility? Number one, guard your tongue. Guard what comes out of your mouth. Uh, what should we guard our tongue against? Number one, guard your tongue against gossip. Uh, the term in the Greek for gossip is gaskusmas. It sounds like gossip. Gaskusmas, gaskusmas, gaskusmas. And you can almost hear the whispers going around. Whenever someone comes to you and says, you know, I heard this, that's probably a good reason not to listen to it because it's probably gossip. If you ever hear those words coming out of your mouth, you know, I heard this, you probably shouldn't go ahead and say it. Sometimes gossip is shared through prayer requests. I don't know if you heard about so-and-so, but we need to really be praying for her. We need to really be praying for him. Guard your tongue against gossip. Guard your tongue against slander and flattery. When someone speaks against you, don't go back and repay them evil for evil, but give it over to the Lord. Guard your tongue against complaining and whining. You know, having children really puts things into perspective. If you have children who complain or whine, especially when you take them out somewhere nice, you know, and you're like, we're going to have fun today. We're going to go uh, to the pool or something. And they say, oh, it's cold out here. I'm not happy. You know, it really gets to you. You're like, why are you, why are you so, why aren't you happy about this? And it really puts it into perspective when I'm complaining. When I'm not when I'm not happy or content with what the, the Lord has provided me and I, I look at the negative instead of looking at the positive, guard your tongue from complaining or whining. Guard your tongue 
from lying. Oh, it's just a little white lie. No, a white lie is a lie, it's sin. Guard your tongue against unwholesome speech, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for bringing others up according to their needs in Christ Jesus. And so for, before you speak, sometimes you should ask, is it necessary that I actually say it? Because when we say things at times, we say it because we want to or we feel like we need to, but it's certainly not necessary. And so we need to guard our tongue against unwholesome speech. And then I put guard our tongue uh, uh, <laughs> when it comes to the keyboard, when it comes to our phones. Um, there's a, a, a thing called keyboard warriors. You feel like you can say certain things behind a computer or a telephone that you wouldn't say face to face. I'd like to suggest it's probably better if, if, if you're wondering, you know, sh- should I write this or say this through an email or text message? Probably don't write it. Probably go to that person directly, talk to them on the phone directly. Don't text or call. I mean, emails and text messages and tweets have gotten people into a lot of trouble. A little tweet can cause you your reputation or even your job. I mean, if you write little things, that can really get you into trouble. And so I encourage you as much as possible, guard your tongue when it comes to text messages, social media, or any other means of communicating. As often as you can, speak to those people in person. So we are encouraged to guard our tongue. Secondly, we are encouraged to consider our tone. If the tongue is destructive, it's not just what we say, but how we say it. For anyone who's married this morning, if you have children, you know that it's not just how you talk to that person, or what you say to that person, it's how you talk to that person, and tone matters. I remember hearing a conversation between a husband and a wife, and the husband was speaking very sternly with his wife. And in that conversation, she said, stop yelling at me. He said, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just speaking to you in a very stern manner. I'm not, I'm not raising my voice. But for her, it was speaking to her in a way that wasn't shepherding her heart well, was not loving her well, and your tone matters. And she said, based on that, when, when, when I was being raised by my father, my father never spoke to me in such a tone like that, that I feel like as if you're yelling at me. And so it's a reminder, guard your tone. Don't just guard your tongue, guard your tone in how you speak. And, and uh, husbands and wives, you know that how you speak to your spouse matters, how you speak to your children matters as well. We're reminded that a, a soft word can turn away wrath. Uh, And so the tongue has the power to destroy. The tongue, lastly, has the power to reveal our hearts in verses 9 to 12. Uh, If I could just give us a a couple passages earlier in James. James wrote, If if any one of you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Listen, what you say reveals the content of your heart. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said this, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we're reminded our tongue reveals the content of our heart. Let's wrap up the text. Verse 9 says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. This morning, we had an opportunity to sing worship to the Lord, to sing praises to his name. And as I was singing praises to his name and thinking ahead to what I was teaching here, I was praying, Lord, as I leave this place, may there not be inconsistency in my speech as I head out. Lord, watch my tongue in my conversations with my family, with friends, with those I have in my circle of influence. Guard my tongue because I don't want that inconsistency to be present that I'm praising you one moment and then speaking negatively about another in another moment. And so the, he's speaking of this inconsistency. Then he goes on to say in the text... Um, Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And then he says this, my brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, these things ought not to be so. 
If you praise the Lord one moment and then curse your brother the next or complain or slander, that shouldn't be so. Why? He goes on to ask these rhetorical questions and the reason they're rhetorical is because we're supposed to answer in the negative. This is for each of us. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can, can you go to a, a stream and drink the water and, and it be both salty and fresh? No. It's either or or. Then he goes on, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. What is he saying there? Well, if it's a fig tree, it will produce the fruit of figs. (laughs) If it's an olive tree, it will produce the fruit of olives. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. What James is saying here is the mark of genuine faith is the fruit of godly living. And godly living is not just about walking the walk as a Christian. It's about talking the talk. And what comes out of your mouth, flows out of the abundance of your heart. And so the question is, is Jesus Lord of your lips? Because that's great evidence that you've also made him Lord of your life. And if you see that consistency, deal with it at the cross. To deal with it at the cross means, okay, maybe I need to get right with God. Maybe I I need to get serious about the the use of my tongue, not making excuses anymore. This is how I've always talked. This is how my parents talk. This is how my grandparents talk. This is how their parents talk. Stop making excuses and make Jesus Lord of your lips and say, this stops now. I'm not going to allow the consequences of loose lips to continue to affect my life or the life of those around me and so take it seriously deal with it at the cross and if you come to the realization I don't truly know the gospel I haven't truly understood my need for Christ that apart from Christ I'm going to spend eternity without God and his people forever and so today maybe today is, is the day you say you know what there's a thing that separates me from you God and it's my sin not just the life that I live but the words that I speak Then you say, Jesus, I know that's why you went to a cross to die on my behalf and to forgive my sins and to grant me everlasting life. I'm going to make you Lord of my life and I'm going to make you Lord of my lips. And may that be reflected in the life that I live and the words that I speak. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. May we model that in our lives. And so if I could give us just those few takeaways, it would be this. Consider what your tongue reveals about your heart. I wanted you to take a moment to take a quick inventory or an evaluation of this past week or the past few hours. What does your tongue reveal about the the content of your heart? Where are you at? Is your heart hardened? The way that you speak to your loved ones, are you not speaking to them in a way that's that's fitting of a spouse or the way that you should be fitting of a of a, of a parent, the way that you speak to those in your places of employment or your coworkers or your bosses, I mean, is that fitting of a Christian? Take time to take an inventory and consider what that reveals about your heart and how you need to work with God on dealing with that at the cross. Secondly, guard your tongue by transforming your heart. You cannot tame the tongue without the help of Jesus. And the way that you tame your tongue is first by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and then secondly, by walking in the Spirit moment by moment and day by day. The first thought of your mind immediately should be in the morning, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. May I not react, may I respond, and may you give me the power of your Spirit to respond in the right Way. And then thirdly, this is lastly, use your tongue to praise, to pray, and to proclaim the name of Jesus. God has called us to use our tongue to worship him, to sing praises to him. But as we worship him, may our speech not be inconsistent. So praise him. Secondly, pray to him. Use your tongue to, to fall on your knees and express your desperate need for Jesus. But thirdly, proclaim his name to the ends of the earth. I'll close with this. On April 21st, 1855, Edward Kimball walked into a Boston shoe store and led a young man to Christ. This individual, Edward Kimball, he was a Sunday school teacher. And this Sunday school teacher made it his priority to 
made it a priority whenever he was in Sunday school class to not just articulate the gospel clearly to those who, was, who were in his Sunday school class, but also give them the opportunity to respond in faith. One gentleman by the name of D.L. Moody did not, and he tracked him down in this shoe store. And in that Boston shoe store, he led D.L. Moody to accept Jesus as his Savior and Lord, using his tongue to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And D.L. Moody is one of the greatest, most effective evangelists throughout history. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ whenever you have the opportunity. Can we take time to pray? Father, we come before you this morning knowing that In light of our text, the tongue is powerful. Our words are weighty. We know, Lord, that we can speak words that can build up, but we can also speak words that can tear down. Uh, Father, I, I pray that you would guard our tongues. Lord, that you would allow us, when we speak, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful for bringing others up according to their needs in Christ Jesus. I pray that we would bring others up according to their needs in Christ Jesus, in our families, in our marriages, in our places of employment, in our circles of influence. Father, we confess ways that we have fallen short in the words that we have spoken. But also, Lord, we know that we, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we confess the ways we fall short in the way that we have spoken in the past. But we also know you give us the power to live the Christian life and to exercise self-control. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be Lord over our lips as evidence that you are Lord of our life. Father, if there's someone here this morning who who wants to make Jesus the savior of their life, who wants to receive the forgiveness of their sins, pray that they can express this genuinely in this moment. Father, I recognize my need for Jesus. Apart from Christ, I am separated from a holy God, and I know the reason, it's my sin. I've departed from your design. I've lived independently of your will and your word, but today I make Jesus my savior I declare he's the one who came and died on the cross for my sins, rose again three days later, but I also make him my Lord. I look forward to following Jesus all the days of my life as I live for him and his glory. Father, we're grateful for our time together. We give you all praise for it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.